Hey, welcome everyone to the Next Year Amigos podcast. Tom and I are here with Victor Grinwald from Germany. Um, Victor, I'm going to, and the topic today is sort of second line slash refractory kidney cancer. Victor, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, and then I'm actually going to turn it back to Tom, who's going to talk a little bit about sort of developing European guidelines. Yeah, hi, uh, my name is Victor Grunwald. I'm a medical oncologist uh, in Essen, Germany, and I'm uh, excited to rejoin this, uh, this uh, great uh, podcast, actually. We don't know it's great yet, by the way. We don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're just jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit there, so if that's okay, because some of the feedback's not great. To be <laughs> is this your first podcast with us, Victor? No, no, Victor did part of our world tour, didn't you, Victor? Oh, yeah, of course, of yeah. course. We went did to, I? Went well, to well, I think we went, yeah, you did. I think we went to a, 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 a steak restaurant, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Hard to remember. Well, thanks for rejoining us. You're brave. So, Tom, um, did you want to kick off? Yeah, I'll be really quick. I don't like these long introductions. So um, essentially what we're talking about today is we built a pyramidal system for systemic therapy in metastatic clear cell kidney cancer that we did first line trials and we did second line trials based on first line therapy. And we even did third line trials based on first and second line therapy. The problem is that uh, the carpet has been pulled away from us because now we give PD-1 inhibition-based first-line therapy, which makes those subsequent trials somewhat void from a robust level 1A evidence perspective. And so now we're in an environment where we have actually very little data supporting uh, subsequent therapies. We have two relatively small prospective studies, one with axisinib and one with pazopinib. And then we have a series of retrospective data sets from randomized trials. But many of these immune refractory patients, I'm going to come to you that in a minute, they're not post frontline immune combination therapy, not second line in the traditional sense. They often are, you know, post second line nivolumab. And clearly there's a huge difference between second line nivolumab and subsequent activity compared to activity post Axi Pembro, for example. And Brian, I know you were involved in the original axitinib trial, which was published in um, a Lancet Oncology. I think you were the last author on that. Do you just want to talk about a bit about what that trial showed and how it's affected your practice? Uh, yeah, sure. So that the, the trial you're referring to was a, a single arm study of Axi in a post-IO setting. And we, we actually did that trial because we wanted to look at a, a sort of the titration question and a novel titration scheme, et cetera. And then as that trial was sort of coming together, IO was becoming prominent in kidney cancer. Nevo had been approved. And so we did it in a post-IO space just because we, we knew there, that would be a relevant clinical question. So basically it was sort of this, this whole titration scheme. And, and I'm going to just estimate the numbers because I don't remember offhand, but it was about 40 or 50 patients. It was 40, Brian. It was 40. I've got it in 40, front of me. Yeah. Good. 40 patients. And Moshe Ornstein's first author. And um, basically what it showed was that, not surprisingly, there was activity after prior IO therapy. And as Tom you had, a response, alluded... you had a response rate of 33 patients, but only 11 of the patients received axitinib second line. Right. So it was mostly patients who had gotten sunitinib frontline, nevo monotherapy second line, and then went on study on axi. I'm because enjoying that... testing you on this. Do you know the progression-free survival, Brian? Or do you want uh, nine months. It is nine exactly months. nine months. Congratulations. Yes. Terrific. Um, <laughs> and Brian, you didn't actually release the overall survival data in that. Well, it's phase two, so who cares about overall survival, right? Well, I guess patients probably do. But, well, um, oh, come on. I mean, the, the data is not reliable. <laughs> okay, no, I agree with that. I'm only messing around. Um, so, <laughs> Brian, 
that so and, and do you think that's what level evidence do you think that is and, and what do you uh and, and what do you um what do you do with um what do you do with that trial is that your standard second line therapy post ipinevo because of that trial uh yeah i did yeah i mean i use actually a lot in that setting you know i think i mean one of the things i think we'll talk about is you know is there a difference among tkis if you're talking about say post ipinevo can we come to that in a second sure so um we did that trial. We also did a study which I was involved with looking at pembrolizumab in a similar type environment, although 47 of these patients were second line. Um, and the progression-free survival was six months. The overall survival was 20 months. I agree with your flippant comment about saying there's not much we can say <laughs> about that um, in as much as um, uh, that we don't really know uh, what that means. But we have um, response rates in the region of 20%, 20%, 30%, 40 patients, 11 patients, who knows? Um, but there is activity there. Um, well, I guess one of the important issues is the transaminitis rate, grade three or four is 10%. Some people feel positive it could have been higher because of, you know, the, trans the, the mm -hmm. challenges with the phase one. So, so it looks safe and that looks pretty good too. Um, do you think there's much of to choose between pazopinib and axitinib in this environment? Would you feel strongly about one or the other? Not really. No. I think and, there's uh, broad activities to TKIs in this setting. As we've said in other settings, pick your favorite, learn how to use it and, and use it. I don't think it's meaningfully different. Victor, you and I have been through a complex debate recently, and that is because the cabozatinib data, the tivozinib data, and also the len everolimus data are all based on subsets of randomized trials, which retrospectively look back to see what happened to those patients who received prior immune therapy, the number was often very small. And again, it tended to be third line therapy after sinistinib followed by nivolumab. Brian, TiVo3 is a trial. Can we start there and just talk about what happened in TiVo3 and whether or not that was a study which actually included enough patients to make any meaningful second line efficacy statement? Well, it was a third and fourth line study, so it can't make any statements about second line. So patients required at least two, two to three prior therapies, one of which must have been a TKI. So, you know, a lot of patients had two prior TKIs. I think it was like 25-ish percent had a TKI and an IO as prior therapy. So it was a, you know, not a tiny subset, but not a huge subset of prior IO. Um, so I think it, it, you know, it's obviously a study, but it tells you that, yeah, there's activities to TKIs in the setting, which which we knew from, from all the other studies that you mentioned. But not in the second line setting, but broad activity. So would you put tivozinib as the same level as axisnib and pazopinib? Uh, I would, yeah. I mean, pazopinib okay. doesn't have as big of a randomized study, right? Yours was not a randomized study, so. That would it be was a group of people who did it, but it wasn't randomized, but it was prospective in this population. And it did have 47 patients in the second line setting compared to none with tivozinib. <laughs> okay, Victor, oh, Victor, over to you. What do you think about uh, my, my, what Brian and I have said so far? Do you broadly agree with what we've said in terms of these three agents have similar levels of evidence? Or do you feel stronger that the prospective data in the specific setting is more meaningful? Or do you agree with Brian that Pazopinib hasn't got a track record in this space and therefore probably shouldn't be considered on the same level? What's your approach if you had to pick between these three drugs, Victor? Yeah, I think I mean, you, you did a great job on discussing these things. I mean, um, right now, I, I think that the level of evidence is really weak. And um, basically, the, the clinical data is a mess. 
it's a mixture of second, third line, uh, fourth line studies and uh, subgroup analysis, retrospective analysis, single arm prospective analysis after IOIO, IO, after Tiki IIO. So it's all over the place. So I think out of the, the data that we discuss right now, I think what, what can be said is that there is clinical activity for TKIs after IO failure, whatever the, the scenario is. Uh, is there a winning regimen? I would say no, there isn't. Um, what I see is a class effect. There might be one that might, may be sticking out, but we have to do the type of uh, really trial to assess what is the best agent in, in that scenario. Meteor cabozatinib is probably the most widely used, Victor, and I wanted to ask you specifically about that. The data to support cabozatinib is it had a survival advantage over Everolimus, not a VEGF TKI, but a survival advantage over Everolimus in sunitinib refractory disease. A subset of patients in the Meteor trial previously received immune therapy, although it was very modest. And in the same way as in TiVo3, that was exclusively nivolumab as second or third line therapy. And there was, in that small subset and a handful of patients, the cabozatinib continued to appear to have a survival advantage. Do you think cabozatinib is best in class in this setting? And if so, why? So um, I think the data is really weak to suggest that. When you ask me, do I use cabozatinib as a preferred choice in second line? The answer is yes. I mean, that's what I use, actually. Um, and, and some of that also relates on how the label is. I mean, there's also, you know, we, we all face restrictions so, uh, on how we may use uh, um, agents. Um, well, Brian doesn't. From, yeah, Brian doesn't. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> Wild West. <laughs> So, um, and, and that also, let's say exitinib, for instance, is bound to prior exposure to sunitinib. You know, if you don't do it in first line, uh, how can you use it then in second line? So, so let's pretend these barriers didn't exist, Victor. Um, okay. If that was the case, would you still be comfortable using cabozatinib first line? And is that because you just li you like the name of it and you like the sound of it? Or is it because you like the Meteor trial? Or is it because you like the Cabosun trial? You know, why do you pick that drug? You're not the only person in the world to, to prioritize that drug. But what is driving that decision? I, I think there's there's evidence to suggest that the, the TKI seems to be a, a bit more uh, efficacious than, let's say, for for instance, sunitinib, because there is data to suggest that it's a bit broader, broader in activity. Because I think, I mean, um, um, uh, speaking about tivozinib and exitinib, these are really um, TKIs that are rather small in their uh, ability to inhibit uh, certain tyrosine kinases. They could be good or could be discussed in, in, as a negative uh, uh, factor, actually. But, you know, I, I think it has benefits in terms of tolerability, but probably in, in previously treated patients, you know, I would prefer to have it a more broader TKI being more effective. Okay, so um, let's move on. And um, just, no, just before we move on, Brian, you've got to say something. Well, I think... I think you have to sort of think about what's your goal when you're giving TKI monotherapy in the salvage setting, right? So that's how I approach it, is that if I'm not giving immune therapy, I'm not curing the patient. So I'm trying to control disease for as long as possible. Um, but in that setting, my personal opinion is that tolerance means a lot. And so that might mean different things for different patients, right? So for some patients, you might want to use Cabo, which is perceived more effective, but, but in my opinion, more toxic. You might want to use TiVo, which is studied in a different setting, but, but I think probably the most tolerated TKI, et cetera. So I think it just depends. And I'm 
I'm not sure it matters a whole lot, I guess, at the end of the day, because you're not curing anybody with, with single agent TKI. I think that's a very good point, Brian. I think I mean, when you look for the pro progression-free survival rate and the response rate um, in the post-IO setting, um, uh, uh, I mean, it, there's some sort of disappointing, you know, because it's basically it's about a half a year and it's about 20% of responses. Mm -hmm. This is not what we see in first line. So I totally agree. I think in second line, it's a com completely different ballgame and it's about palliation, it's about quality of life and tolerability. Not in every single patient, but I think that's kind of the, the, the theme that we follow. Let's come on to um, uh, the difference quickly between, um, sorry, before we get there, let's just do the len everolimus data. So there's a study, a phase two study of levacinib plus everolimus in renal cancer. I think Monty presented it um, at a KCA last year. It's essentially 300 patients. Uh, it's in a similar setting. Uh, in as much as uh, it's in refractory disease, some VEGF refractory disease, um, some patients have uh, had prior immune therapy. Um, I think it's uh, so prior immune therapy, about 30% of patients. Um, and um, in some patients, it's, uh, it's, it obviously is an active regime. We had uh, nice response rates. Um, and we had, um, I'm just pulling them up here right now. Um, so response rates of 35%. Uh, and we had progression-free survival uh, in the region of 11 months. Um, and overall survival uh, seemed reasonable. Um, actually, we've got 27 months in, in one of the arms. Do you feel that that regime is more active than other regimes? Do you feel it's the same? Um, again, 25% of patients prior immune therapy, but not many prior foot after foot, just frontline immune therapy. So that's a similar ballpark retrospective analysis of a randomized trial. This is randomized because different doses of levastinib was used 16, uh, 18 or 14. Um, Victor, what's your take on, on that trial? I know you and I have chatted about it previously and, and obviously it, it kind of, it, it's, it's an interesting study. It's large, but it's two drugs rather than one. Yeah, um, so I, I think it's one of the rare occasions where you have in a randomized um, uh, comparison, you you have the same components. So it's len Eve versus len Eve. So the winner is always len Eve. This is kind of surprising, <laughs> but I think the the question, the research question has been different. I mean, it has been about the role of the dose of, of the lenbetinib in that uh, uh, content. So um, I, I think, I mean, as we... Um, have more contemporary trials. We have a larger proportion of patients um, that have been previously treated with immunotherapies. And I think that, that is a reflection in, in that specific trial. Um, and um, the data looks good. I, I think, I mean, the PFS of one year is very similar to, to uh, um, um, the data for um, this specific combination in those that have not been treated with IO. So not suggesting that you kind of lose efficacy once you have an additional component um, or failure of an immunocomponent. So I, I, it's promising. It's in, the, it's in the same ballpark, but it, you don't reach, you're not reaching out to it directly. And you said your preference was cabazacinib. Why are you not reaching out for it directly? Well, a part of it is also the license, of course. I mean, as you said, okay, don't think about it. So I think the data, data looks good, but it, you know, it's not, um, it, it's a rather large data set. In that setting, but still, you know, it's it's comparing Len Eve versus Len Eve. So there's the missing link. Is really the comparison with other 
uh, other uh, TKIs, for instance, you know. So I think I would like to see more data on that, actually. I think it's promising, it's a very good signal. Uh, for some patients, it may be, um, it may be the way to go. Uh, Brian, would you? So it doesn't sound like Victor's going to use it second line under any circumstances. Brian, what is your yeah, take? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think what we're talking about here is you can sort of maybe dial up or down the intensity a bit. Maybe you can squeeze out some more responses or some more PFS with, you know, Lenev versus Cabo versus Axi or TiVo, you know, but, but there's different toxicity profiles. At the end of the day, I'm not sure it's going to matter a whole lot. And I'm not sure as a field that this is what we should be focusing on, right? I mean, we need to, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, the Len Pembro data after immune therapy, and you know, we should be focusing on multiple shots to cure the patient, et cetera. If we're, we're going to come if we're a squeezing 10% so, more response or two more months PFS, I'm not sure that we've meaningfully advanced the field by doing that. An indirect comparison to trials is complicated and the patient populations are slightly different in these and they're all very small and retrospective. So I totally agree. Let's just move on quickly now then to uh, what what is you is your approach different if you have progression of disease after ipinevo or VEGF TKI immune therapy? Do you see that different? Do you see that as being different? And Victor, can I start with you? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I think it's totally different. I mean, if you if you work with a TKI-free combination uh, upfront, um, you have a higher response rate in the subsequent line of therapy because they haven't been exposed to VEGF inhibitors. So I think, I mean, um, this uh, scenario is totally different and I would be totally comfortable um, working here with a smaller agent or, you know, smaller tyrosine kinase inhibitor profile, such as exitinib or tivosinib, for instance. Um, so you would give, do you say you would, you would actually not give CABO post epinevo, you would give Axi or TiVo? So right now I do, I do give CABO, um, but probably, you know, in those patients that haven't been exposed to a TKI previously, you know, you may not need that broad activity in every single patient. I mean, what I do post epinevo is I start again, and I just start with sinicinib. And I just start as we would before pretending they haven't had immune therapy. Uh, I'm not sure that's the right thing to do, but it doesn't seem to have let me down too much so far. <laughs> Brian, 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 what, what do you, what do you, what's your um, So after Ipi Nevo, I, I tend to use Axi. You know, I know TiVo is third line, but I might start using TiVo in that setting or, or just use it third line. I think, but I think Cabo is a totally reasonable choice. After Axi Pembro, I tend to use Cabo um, as I think the most active drug they haven't yet gotten. So again, there's all sort of variations of a theme, you know, how much tolerability, how much practice you're willing to tolerate, et cetera. But importantly, your approach is different post Ipinevo and and Axi Pembro or Cabo Nevo or Lempen. Obviously with Cabo Nevo, Lempen, you're going to use a drug you haven't used previously. So if you progressed on Cabo Nevo, you might give Axi and vice versa if you've progressed on that you know there is a common sense approach to that but actually you would both be happier with a more pure VEGF TKI therapy post epinevo with absolutely no evidence to support that i mean there's no evidence either way right we don't have a TiVo or Axi versus no but there's nothing, there's nothing right you know, there's right. nothing wrong with that and as you said they're all, they're all approved I'm not, I'm not being critical <laughs> Brian. You know, don't be don't be oversensitive on these things on me <laughs> okay so listen we're moving to the next chapter of this because the next question I need to know the answer to is there's some data from uh uh from um uh the Len Pen so that's Levatinib and Pembrolizumab and that was given to and I think that was presented at mm-hmm. ASCO, um, yeah, it was ASCO 2020. 
Um, and um, so that was a phase two trial, Len Pen, after disease progression, after immune checkpoint mm -hmm. inhibitors, which is kind of interesting because essentially it's continuing the immune checkpoint inhibitors. And in that patient population, uh, it's in, I think that the number of prior therapies was 40% had one, 60% had two, 100% um, had prior immune checkpoint inhibitors, and um, uh, uh, and uh, which I think is obviously irrelevant. Um, and the question there is that the results were a bit better than many people expected, uh, in that the response rate uh, was about 50%. Um, 52% in fact um, and uh, PFS was 11 months and OS at 12 months was 77% so that data looks looks really good um, and the question is you know, then do you, is that a justification at all for continuing immune checkpoint inhibitors in this setting? I think it's a signal that it was an interesting signal right that that regimen showed more activity in an IO refractory setting than I would have suspected. Now that we've seen the clear data, you know, you say, well, gee, maybe it's just a more active regimen. So maybe that activity second line shouldn't be as surprising, but I think it's notable. Does it make it a standard of care in that setting? No, it's a single arm phase two, right? So we need randomized trials and we can talk about ones that are going on to look at that, but it's certainly, it's, it's good news, right? It gives us the, generates the hypothesis that patients might have multiple shots therapy and multiple shots at disease control slash cure have you got the television on i the don't i'm in my office no okay <laughs> <laughs> um victor um so what's your take on the lempen data um and uh and what's your um what's your feeling on um on the continuing immune checkpoint inhibitors well, I think the LENPEM data was really surprising. I mean, I was surprised by the activity, the level of activi activity that we have seen. And even if you split it down into IOIO versus TKIO previous exposure, you know, you still see a lot of activity. It's very um, interesting, um, I think. But uh, as Brian said, I mean, it's just an observation from a single arm trial. Looks good. It's a signal um, that has been generated. It needs to be. Uh, it needs to be tested in a randomized fashion to be sure. You know. Uh, what is the usability of that type of combination? Speaking of, yeah. so just to clarify that the response rate post IO alone was fifty five percent, and post IO plus VEGF TK plus IO and VEGF TKI that would be the sequencing of them was also sixty percent. So yeah. it does look pretty it, it, high. It is very high indeed. And um, um, the thing is, I mean, what is the addition of in, in additional layer of immunotherapy really add uh, to the activity? And I think therefore. I always like to look into the data that we have, let's say from the Titan study or, or you know, other studies that looked into um, the immune escalation. So starting off with single agent NEVO and then escalating to EP NEVO. And then you, you end up having like 10 to 15% by this additional CTLA-4 inhibitory access. And um, so is it something that is really, you know, I mean, why is it so much higher when, when it is than PEM? I think there, there is not really a conclusive answer. I mean, there could be some synergistic effects because we kind of speak of immune modulating effects of TKIs and so on. Um, but I think it's really too too, too early to uh, to call it a day and make it a, a, something that should be given to every single patient. Uh, I, it's nice, so, but, you know, it, it really needs to be explored. Not enough yeah. yet, not enough yet. So just in summary, 
um, where we are right now is um, we have a lack of data post um, immune checkpoint inhibitor based first line therapy. What data we have looks much of a muchness. All of the VEGF TKIs that we widely use um, can be easily justified. It's hard to justify one above another. Uh, we feel that um, there's a difference between post ipinevo and post VEGF TKI PD-1. Uh, and we feel that continuing immune checkpoint inhibitors is currently not yet proven, but promising. Just before we finish, is there any exciting trials out there that may help us with this question? Well, I mean, there's the CABO versus CABO. I think it's called contact, right? That's accruing. I, I don't know if it's fully accrued, but we'll sort of get at this question. I think it's going to be hard to show advantages in that setting, though. And that's using a Tezo, which, you know, pdl one inhibitors have been less active in kidney cancer, at least in the frontline setting. Uh, and then... But switching mechanism might be might. attractive. And or, 55 and 60% response rates for left hand looks pretty good. Um, and then there's the Tenevo, so Tevozinidivolumab versus Tevo, I think, in a, I don't know if it's pure second or, or just post-IO, I don't quite remember. Those are the two large randomized trials that will get at this IO after IO question that I'm aware of. Um, uh, Victor, last word from you. Well, I think, I mean, they're they interesting trials. And I think I, I like the carnivore study for, for instance, omnivore. That's, and it's not carnivore. <laughs> it's omnivore. Um, and so, and I think because it, it, it... Describe that to us, Victor. Some don't know who... Um, so basically, um, it, it's response-based. I mean, like the subsequent line of therapy will be based on a response. So those that respond to immunotherapy, uh, they will maintain that type of therapy. And those that have inadequate response, let's say, stable disease... Um, they will be offered additional switch to cabazentinib or what is it, placebo or, or just succeeding with... I think that's pedigree. Oh, that's pedigree. That's oh, pedigree. Yeah, Omnivore was the adding ipi to Nevo like the others, like Titan and such. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally right. So, um, um, so but, that's like but an early way. intensification. Yeah, sort of like an early intensification yeah. type trial. Yeah, and that's accru and how well it's accruing, but... Yeah, but I think, I mean, it really answers interesting questions, you know, what is the role of the addition of TKI in those that don't have adequate response to um, um, to immunotherapies uh, in either way? So either omnivore or pedigree, I mean, one with TKI, the other one with a second immunoagent. And I think it will, it will generate um, additional research questions or maybe clarity in, in this setting. Listen, we need to wrap this up, I think. <laughs> this has been terrific, Victor. Thanks as always for Thanks, joining Victor. us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for inviting me. It was Anytime. great. And we're gonna see you we're gonna see you really soon. I've got a good <laughs> feel about it. All right, see you guys. <laughs> see you then. Take care. Cheers, Victor. Bye bye. Bye bye.